This installment of the AX Insider podcast features a conversation with Daniel Robert Gooch, President and CEO of the Canadian Airports Council. He spoke with AXN's Andy Telejohn to discuss airports there and how they're faring in the wake of the pandemic. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the AX Insider podcast. My name is Andy Telejohn. I'm the senior writer at Airport Experience News. Today, we're talking with Daniel Robert Gooch, president of the Canadian Airports Council, which has 54 members representing more than 95% of Canada's commercial air traffic. Thanks for taking some time today. Great to be here. Uh, absolutely. Uh, looking forward to, to catching up and hearing how things are going north of the border. I'm, uh, I live just outside of Minneapolis, so not too far uh, I, I hear and see a lot about a lot of what's going on uh, uh, in Canada, but uh, as we've been following the uh, airport industry situation since this COVID uh, disaster hit, uh, the news has been a, a lot more quiet up there than down here. Uh, uh, U.S. airports got $20 billion spread out over three bills in assistance from the government to help deal with uh, COVID challenges. Uh, you fought and clawed to get uh, get some uh, relief from the from the government. Finally, did earlier this year. What can you tell me about uh, you know just uh, what kind of funding you did receive from the government and how that all has been uh, allocated so far? Well, thanks. We we did get some funding. I mean, the government moved fairly quickly in March of 2020 to um, uh, to waive for the rest of the year the rent that uh, 26 uh, or sorry 21 of our airports pay to the federal government. Uh, they technically own the land, uh, and the airports are independent, not for profit authorities uh, that operate those assets on behalf of the federal government and pay rent to the tune of about 412 million dollars in 2019. So the government did move to waive that rent for um, for 2020. Of course, as a uh, revenue-based charge, um, the the amount that airports would have had to pay would have been vastly reduced, anyways. Um, and then there wasn't any support apart from broad programs like the wage subsidy. Um, there were no other programs that were airport specific or air sector specific until the fall economic statement last November. Uh, and there was a, a fair bit of funding there. So when you add up all of the stated programs, and I'm including that wage subsidy in here as well, even though that is a broad uh, program available to everybody, um, uh, Canada's airports have received about $1.6 billion uh, in, in 2020 and 2021. About $200 million of that is... Um, uh, is deferral on rent for this year uh, uh, that would have been paid by the four busiest airports. So, so that will have to be uh, repaid. Um, since this pandemic was announced last fall, though, it's endured far uh, longer than, than, than we ever saw. Uh, and we, we now want those deferrals to be converted into wa waivers because um, uh, that would be very beneficial to our four busiest airports. Uh, in terms of where the money went, um, the biggest chunk went to our airports with fewer than 600,000 uh, passengers. So that would be about 360 million. Just under 200 million went to those four busiest airports uh, with the remainder being spread uh, among the remaining large regional and, and national airports. And, and geographically, the funding was, uh, was spread um, you know, around the country, but with a surprisingly large amount uh, of funding going to the, to the prairie provinces. Um, and, uh, and an unusually small amount going to our largest province in Ontario. Yeah, well, as you were describing that, that's what kind of jumped out at me. Uh, are, the, are those largest airports uh, going to be able to uh, do all right with uh, 200 million uh, as the number? 
Well, I mean, certainly they uh, they need. Uh, I mean, that's in infrastructure funding, so that's uh, that's for specific projects. So uh, about a hundred million of that, for example, goes to a transit program in Montreal, an important program. Um, uh, but it but that money doesn't do anything to offset the losses, of course. Uh, the rent ref the rent waiver from last year was very helpful. Uh, we really do need uh, for those four busiest airports for that waiver to be turned into a deferral. Um, and then when you look to what airports would like to do in the coming years, we want to be supporting recovery. Um, obviously, uh, um, safety-related infrastructure needs are, are, are constant, and so uh, those will take preference to, to programs that airports will um, pursue in the, in the coming years. Um, but we are in a country that's trying to fight climate change, and, and uh, airports have a, a long list of projects that they would like to uh, to pursue to play their role in that, uh, and we'll really need our, our federal landlord to, uh, to to come back to the table uh, if we're going to be able to in a position to to play that role uh, in the coming years. You know, throughout this, we we would hear down here that uh, you know from some in the in the U.S. Uh, from some folks that watch over the industry that the amount that the government was. Uh, uh, helping uh, airports out with was really going to put American airports at a uh, at, at a at a competitive advantage uh, coming out of this uh, pandemic, uh, and that uh, Canadian airports uh, uh, were probably going to uh, have their recovery slowed a bit from this. Uh, uh, you've talked about some of the impacts going forward on some of the infrastructure uh, issues. Uh, have you seen that on the recovery front? Uh, where are you at right now in terms of passenger traffic and and you know, as far as the recovery piece goes? Well, mission accomplished. They certainly gave U.S. airports a competitive advantage. Um, you know, I, I, it's more than just funding. Uh, the, the crisis has endured longer in Canada than in the U.S. Um, because you've had fewer restrictions um, and less traffic suppression generally as a result. Uh, if I take a look at the month of August, which is the latest month I have for our stats amongst the busiest airports, Traffic in August was only at about 40% of 2019. Um, it's, it, I understand it's improved in September and, and seems to be on an upward trend, but it, you know, I, don't, I don't yet have those numbers. Um, in, in international markets, it's only at about 20% in the month of August. And, and, and that actually marks a significant improvement because if you look at year two August, we are at just 17% of, of 2019. Uh, that's all traffic. Uh, so, so you know, I think people traveling through airports because flights are scheduled more towards a, a smaller number of peaks. They look busy, but we're not busy. Um, we are busy at peak, and that's challenging for some of our government resources. Uh, but, but we're really not um, not as busy. And I think so. We're we're we're, tra we're trailing the U.S. in terms of that traffic recovery. Uh, in terms of the actual support. Um, you know, our support was more complex with more strings than in the U.S. Um, your airports have confirmed four times as much funds, all indirect grants, than Canadian airports have confirmed across all of our programs. Um, and we're still burdened by more restrictions. We have dozens of airports that have yet to see their ability to receive international flights restored. Um, they're in danger of losing flights. We're talking about communities like Victoria and Kelowna. These are not, not small communities. Um, and they had direct links to the U.S. and Sun destinations, and they have flights scheduled for the coming weeks and months that they're uh, in danger of losing unless we can uh, get the federal government, the, the federal inertia that we've had in terms of restoring this, uh, if we can get that uh, dislodged. We also um, you know, have resource constraints at U.S. CBP uh, for preclearance in Canada. 
Um, there are about 50 or 60 airports in the US that benefit from having access to Canada because of preclearance. Um, and as of 2019, in terms of, of where things were prior to the pandemic. And so this isn't just a concern for Canadian airports. This is a concern for communities uh, in Florida, you know, Reno, uh, Arizona, that receive flights from Canada that may not be able to receive those if, if preclearance was, were to go away. Uh, and we're seeing flights, uh, not that there's a suggestion that that would happen, but if you were to look at the, the situation without preclearance, there, there are communities that wouldn't have those flights. Um, and because of resource constraints there, uh, we are hearing that flights are being denied. And so airlines are trying to recover uh, Canada-US traffic, and, and, and that is serving to be a bit of a constraint there. Um, you know, for international travel, uh, our requirement for a pre-departure PCR test before coming back to Canada, um, that's proving to be a real big deterrent. Um, uh, and many of our politicians are still discouraging people from traveling, uh, you know, so, um, yeah, we're, we're not out of the woods yet. And I'd say in terms of our, our recovery from the pandemic, we are trailing uh, and we're trailing on relief as well. We're talking today with Daniel Robert Gooch, president of the Canadian Airports Council. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, having the restrictions and uh, I, I, I noted that uh, you started to address this, but the uh, proof of vaccination for all travelers going by plane or train starting on October 30th uh, is yet, a, uh, yet another restriction or, you know, and it's certainly a, a requirement. Uh, you know, can you expand on your thoughts on this and what this means for, you know, for, you know, on one hand, you got to do your part to help, uh, uh, you know, end the pandemic. But on the other, you know, on the other hand, you got businesses to run and airports to, to keep moving. Uh, where does the Canadian Airports Council stand on these uh, vaccination requirements? Well, I mean, I guess in some ways it is a, a restriction, but we're not really looking at it that way. Um, you know, our, in Canada, large percentages of those who are uh, eligible to be vaccinated have been vaccinated. I, I believe we're, we're doing quite well in the world. Um, you know, and our airports moved, excuse me, quickly to develop policies uh, for airport workers once the government's intentions were announced back in August that they'd be imposing a, a vaccine mandate on uh, the air sector workers. We're just now learning how that mandate will be implemented. Uh, and, and we're also now, just now, uh, learning how the mandate for passengers will actually work. Uh, and so, um, you know, we do have some concerns because depending on how that unfolds, how the, the vaccine verification is checked, for example, it could create new chokeholds at the airport um, and, and, and perversely lines where we don't want people in lines, right? Uh, so, so we're hopeful that, um, that the mandate will be designed in a way that will allow travelers to continue to flow. But you know, assuming that that is uh, put in place uh, in a way that, that works for the industry and for travelers, uh, it's certainly a positive we see that the air sector will be Canada's first sector where both employees and travelers are all fully vaccinated. Um, so then that begs the question is what about all these other restrictions? We, we, we keep seeing re restrictions and, and measures and, and safety measures put in place, um, but at some point those should be mitigating the need for the others. Uh, and so when will we see those start to be lifted? When will we stop requiring uh, expensive and time consuming PCR tests? When will we stop telling people not to travel? Um, uh, we need that to be to be lifted uh, until we're going to see any meaningful recovery in our in our travel and tourism, particularly for international markets. I mean, just think of it. We have an airports conference, uh, our ACI North American Airports Conference in Reno next month. 
ordinarily I would have my entire team down there. Um, uh, but we would have to take PCR tests and there's a cost associated with that both before we go and before we come back. Um, but there's also the risk. What happens if someone po tests positive uh, and then they're not able to return home to their families? I mean, that's, uh, it's, it's not um, surprising that, that business travel is, is still suppressed and, and leisure travel is still suppressed when, uh, when there are uh, that, those sorts of risks out there for, for consumers to consider. So Daniel, uh, you've talked about uh, some of the uh, maybe redundant uh, efforts to um, understandably keep people safe and all of that, but uh, do you get the sense that this, uh, that this vaccine mandate that's about to take effect later this month might start loosening things up? Have you gotten any feedback from, uh, from government officials uh, talking at all about whether you know, some of those international markets might be reopened as this mandate uh, takes effect? Uh, well, no signs yet, uh, but but I mean, it would seem logical now that we are going to have all travelers and all workers be fully vaccinated, um, that some of these more onerous requirements can be lifted. Um, you know, this should be based on risk. The, that's This is the rationale for putting in the measures to begin with. And, uh, you know, we're a world where we now have testing. We have, uh, we have a variety of different testing mechanisms. Not everything needs to be PCR. Um, rapid antigen tests should have a role to play, and they have not had much of a role in Canada. Um, uh, and uh, the you know the PCR test uh, being a deterrent, we would like to see it go away, um, so that we can get travelers flowing more uh, more freely again. Um, you know, uh, but I guess we'll you know we'll have to see how this unfolds in the in the coming weeks. So uh, uh, the only thing known is more unknown at this point. Uh, Daniel Robert Gooch, president of the Canadian Airports Council, talking with us today. Um, we down here have, uh, in, the, in the U.S., have seen uh, the recovery happen, as we talked about, faster than it has happened in Canada. But it all, we also down here have had uh, some slow recovery on the international traffic and on the business travel side. Um, are you seeing the same? Are you thinking the, I mean, is it leisure, is what's going on leisure driven right now? Or are you seeing something different from your uh, traffic patterns? Well, it's, it's all anecdotal, you know, going off of what I'm hearing from our, our air carrier partners um, and, and other partners in the tourism sector. I mean, I think it, it a lot of it has been leisure, uh, certainly. Um, you know, I understand that uh, with the opening uh, of um, the Canada-U.S. border to fully vaccinated U.S. travelers that began in early August, uh, that we have seen an uptick in, in business traffic along with that. Um, what I understand is it's, it's quite limited uh, and um, very short stays. People are timing their stays to be able to uh, use the same PCR tests that they come into Canada with to get back into the United States, for example, and vice versa. Um, and so that, that means we're not getting those one-week trips. It means we're getting an overnight trip, right? because um, it's it's hard to time those when they have to be made within 72 hours prior to departure. Um, so we are seeing a bit, but I, I think, you know, you, you're seeing it quite restricted. Um, you know, it's, it's maybe the CEO who's traveling for an essential business trip and not taking the colleagues that they, they might otherwise um, and not okay. staying as long and, and just kind of turning around and going back. Okay. Okay. Let's shift gears here a little bit. I'm curious, American airports, uh, you know, there, there was a, I mean, there was a ton more bad news in 2020 than there was good news for sure. Uh, but we would hear out of this 
you know, news of innovations in, uh, you know, touchless technology and, and, you know, clean air systems and, and, you know, in increasing the movement of concessions being served at gates and things like that. Uh, what's going on uh, in uh, Canadian airports in terms of innovations? Are you seeing some of those same uh, enhancements uh, uh, in the folks you're, uh, you're in your members? Certainly. Uh, I mean, Canada's airports move quickly to make all of those investments the same, that, that you just mentioned, uh, and, and all with their own funding, because they had to move very quickly. They couldn't sit around and wait for the, the federal government to, to play a role. Um, curiously, the, the federal government allocated $82.5 million in the spring budget that just came out last March of this year. Um, for biosecurity infrastructure at airports, but it's only for future projects. Our airports have already spent those millions of dollars, and and um, uh, and, and so those investments certainly did take place. Looking to the future, uh, what I what I think is exciting is to see our Canada Border Services Agency, uh, so CBSA, that that serves in the role that CBP does in the U.S. Um, their border modernization initiative is moving forward forward, and and this represents. Um, you know, a fair bit of work that's been underway for quite some time, a greater use of technology, uh, uh, technology such as facial ver verification that I know has been in place in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So th this is work that's been underway for, for quite some time, but with COVID-19, uh, we've seen it accelerated and, and is, it's now well backed by, by government funding. And that's going to make for more efficient customers, custom hall, uh, and a better experience for travelers uh, in, the, in, the coming, in the coming years. Okay, so as they say, never waste a crisis. Uh, it sounds like uh, even in the midst of some challenging uh, negotiations with the government, you've still got some things to, you know, where, you're, where you may come out of this uh, stronger in the long run. I think you alluded to it a little bit earlier in terms of uh, infrastructure projects and the likes uh, and, and the like there as well, but uh, uh, has there been any resumption uh, or restarting of capital projects uh, that, you're, uh, that you can talk about? Uh, you know, it's a varied picture. I, I mean, I think what we saw in the U.S. was that the the timing of of funding and, and airports understanding early that they were going to get funding, um, along with the reduced traffic levels, me meant that many airports were able to take up take advantage of the opportunity to do work. Um, I would say the amount of time it took for funding to flow in Canada meant that 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 golden uh, uh, you know, intersection of, of no traffic, but the funds to do work uh, didn't exist. Um, that being said, it's, it's a varied picture. Uh, our airports received about 507 million in infrastructure funding through uh, of the of the amount I, I said earlier um, through three programs. There's, there was a bit more through another program. Uh, most of that requires matching contributions by the airports themselves. So there's still a strain on, on airport finances there, uh, and they'd had to be expedient about what work uh, would would go ahead. Um, you know, airports, as you know, are highly capital intensive. There's constant revolving need to maintain, repair, critical infrastructure. When it comes to safety, security, environmental, you know, that will always make uh, uh, you know the, the top of the priority list, if you will. I don't think you'll see much in what would be termed expansion uh, or or, or uh, uh, business development, to, for the most part, uh, if if it's discretionary, rather. Um, but there are other uh, discretionary investments that I would say are important, but still at risk, um, uh, like climate or uh, uh, transit uh, investments, for example. Uh, you know, our air transport sector plays a leadership role in, the, in this country in the fight against climate change. Um, our air carriers invested in some of the newest, most fuel efficient fleets in the world. 
uh, and committed to long-term climate change goals as are our airports. Uh, you know, 14 of Canada's airports are part of the airport carbon accreditation program. Um, but, you know, when you look at the financial position going forward, some airports, many airports would be challenged to advance further in the stages of this program and, and make those types of investments like um, uh, connectivity into transit networks and regional rail um, that uh, would help us play our role in the fight against climate change. So we're really going to need that federal government landlord again uh, to, to continue to be a partner in helping us make those investments. Uh, to uh, for a greener future for Canada. Okay. Okay. Uh, is I would guess that you're still in ongoing discussions. That uh, you're letting the government uh, know that there still are some concerns, and that you're uh, hoping to see a little more assistance going forward. How are, you know? Do you have any any hopes of uh, additional funding uh, help along the way? Well, I mean, we, we have a couple of opportunities in the coming months. Um, uh, there may be a fall economic statement uh, in, in the fall. Uh, we are reviewing our financial outlooks now uh, to understand exactly how this year unfolded. We, we know what airports thought it was going to be like back in February. And, and so we're kind of matching that with how things were. Um, we did... Uh, we did receive a significant amount of money, and uh, that is flowing through airports starting you know, in July, August, uh, if you will. So, uh, so I think airports are coming to terms with, with where they find themselves. Uh, you know, but that being said, um, we were expecting to put on two, two to $3 billion in additional debt by the end of this year, uh, just to maintain operations. Most of that is, is not investing in anything future uh, for the future. It's really just to maintain operations. And, and so um, we will be talking to the government about what that means for airports, how that will restrict uh, the ability of airports to support recovery, uh, and, uh, and, and how it will restrict our ability to play a more meaningful role in the fight against climate change. Sure. Now, uh, Daniel, earlier this month, I saw that the uh, council called for a multi-year moratorium on ground lease rent, uh, in addition to some of the targeted financial support. Um, and I and I know that over over the long haul, even before COVID hit, this uh, the 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 rent rates have uh, have long been a controversial issue with uh, Canadian airports. Uh, um, do you get the sense that uh, a those uh, you know those uh, the moratorium is is on the table for discussion, and b uh, uh, you know is this uh, is this system something that needs to be looked at? Uh, uh, overall in the big picture, um, you know, as a result of uh, seeing how things have gone during COVID? Well, you know, these are federal assets at the end of the day. The, 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 the users, so the, the travelers, the air carriers, uh, the customers at airport shops and services, they are the ones who pay for the operation of the assets. Um, they are also the ones who are paying, by and large, for the uh, investments into the assets, or they have uh, uh, mostly funded most of the $30 billion in airport infrastructure investments that have taken place since 1992 have all been paid for by users. Um, you know, the, the federal funding is, is, is a fairly recent phenomenon. Uh, and, uh, and, and so we do want to see the federal government play a more active role in, uh, in how its own assets, um, you know, are funded going forward. Uh, certainly they moved quickly in 2020 to, to waive rent for the year. That was worth about $137 million in savings, 90% uh, of it at the four busiest airports. Uh, but like I said, those airports, for those airports, the federal government only deferred rent for 2021 last November. So if you think about that, in the depths of the COVID crisis, when things were 
hopefully about to get better soon, but not yet. The federal government decided it needed to keep that money, that it would need that money back, that uh, uh, it was only going to defer uh, the funds. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the perverse thing. The rent is calculated as a percentage of gross revenues. So when airports uh, get extra money from having hotel guests, for example, uh, that extra money is subject to, uh, to the rent formula. But when airports have to raise rates to cover their costs, such as that, those billions in extra debt, if, if, if I have to raise my rates to cover all that extra debt that I've had to, to add on, that money that I raise to pay down that debt is subject to rent. So the federal government will make millions of dollars every year in the coming years because of the debt misery that airports find themselves in at, at no fault of their own. So certainly we need to take a look at this formula. In, in 2019, it was about $412 million. Uh, and that, of course, just went into the federal coffers to be distributed amongst all the various programs. Uh, it went into general revenue. Think of what we could do with those funds if they were to be reinvested in, into the industry, if they were to be reinvested into, uh, into transit, pro- transit connectivity programs, um, uh, infrastructure that would improve the, uh, the heating efficiency of airports and, and other climate change related projects. Uh, so we, we do think there are some conversations to be had that, uh, that, that would be, be good for, for airports, good for travelers, but also good for Canada. Well, and you'd think that uh, putting some of those, uh, putting some of that money into reinvesting in the airports would only result in larger revenues at the airport that uh, would then uh, raise the contribution back to the government in the long run. Well, certainly, uh, you know, the, the indirect benefits from the airport, the travel and tourism sector, the, you know, the hotels and the community, the conference centers, they all benefit from uh, from airports uh, that are cost competitive so that they are able to attract air services. So we have competitive air services. It's, it's a, a virtuous or, or a vicious uh, spiral, depending on how you look at it and how we, uh, how we uh, set ourselves up for the coming years. Certainly. We've got uh, the, the U.S. airports and Canadian airports uh, certainly have uh, different models, but uh, the, the, the goals and the end results uh, uh, certainly seem the same. Uh, you put money back into the airports and build uh, build better, build a better product and service for the traveler, and and everybody ends up doing better off in the end. Uh, Daniel Robert Gooch, president of the Canadian Airports Council, has uh, joined us this morning. Uh, thank you for sake, taking some time. You've answered the questions I had. Is there anything you'd like to add? Well, you know, I'd say if we looked at the 10 years that preceded the pandemic, we saw extraordinary growth in air service uh, options in Canada. Uh, Communities had more choice in in terms of carriers, routes, air services at the best fares that they've ever had. Um, uh, When we look out a couple of years from now, we want to ensure that Canadian communities, Canadian travelers have those, those options again. Uh, and so a lot of the decisions that we make together as industry and government in, in the next year uh, will uh, help determine whether, whether consumers and communities have those options on the other side of things. If, if the airports are burdened uh, with debt, if our, uh, our air traffic control providers burden with debt, our air carriers are burdened with debt, if, if rates are higher than they need to be, if it costs more in air traffic control to serve community X, if it costs more for those uh, airports to, to access those airports in community X and community Y, um, then you might not have as many options in those communities. You may not have as many routes, you may not have as many carriers, and then you'll see fares go up 
Um, and that would be bad for everybody. So we, we really do have to get it right. Makes sense. Daniel, thank you for taking the time. I appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Good to be with you.